0: This morning we are continuing our series on parables in Luke and if you want to turn to Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 to 21, the parable of the rich fool. So Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and my grain and my goods. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And this is God's word. Well, i have already thought about what the kids value, what's important to them. That was quite revealing. But why should they get all the fun? So we're going to keep playing the game. You can decide for yourself, maybe don't put your hands up and down, but at least in your head think, which would I rather have? So easy ones first. What would you rather have? What would be better? What would you value? Would you rather have your absolute dream holiday or your absolute dream? dream car, which would you rather have? Would you rather have your mortgage paid off completely or would you rather have a second house up at the coast? What would you rather have? Maybe more seriously, would you rather have your children grow up and get their dream jobs or would you rather they grow up and be in healthy relationships? Would you rather get a promotion in work? Or would you rather grow closer to God by spending more time with Him? We don't really stop and ask questions like this very often. And one reason, because it's silly, life isn't either or questions. Or is it silly? And actually, is how we live our life, the things we do, do we answer these questions by Showing the things that we prioritize all the time. We know the right answer to questions like these. We know the answer we're meant to give when we're talking to the kids. What's the right answer? Jesus. That's what's meant to matter most. But what we value is realized less by answering hypothetical questions and more by what we actually do, how we live out our faith what we do with our time and our resources and our actions. And that's what we see in today's parable. The thing about parables is that they can be deceptively simple. I don't know what you were thinking when I read the passage earlier, and maybe for some of you, you were thinking, well, I've heard this one before. And I know it's going to tell me not to be greedy, and that's fair enough. So do we really need to go any further than that? Do we really need to spend 20, 25 minutes or so when we sort of kind of get the gist of it already? When I first read the parable in preparation for today, I kind of thought that. But then the more time I spent in it, I realized that it's not as simple as I thought. And actually, our passage from God's Word today asks an awful lot of questions from us. Not just the obvious ones, but questions that are really important as we seek to think, how do I follow Jesus? How do I live a life for him? So shall we pray and ask for God's help as we do this? Father, we know that we live in a culture of abundance and plenty, and that's something we do not want to take lightly. And Father, we know that as well as having an abundance of material possessions, we also live in an age where access to your world is so easy and readily available. Because of that, Lord, it could be very easy for us to take what we are doing here this morning for granted. Father, would you help us not to do that? Help us to come now to your word, remembering that you, the living God, wants to speak to us. Would you do so clearly? making us receptive to hear and willing to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're able to grab a Bible in front of you and turn it to Luke chapter 12, um, you'll find that helpful to follow along as we go. It's page 1045 in the Pew Bibles. Just before we come and we look at the actual parable itself, we want to just take a step back and look at the wider context. What's happening before we even get to this interaction and if you look down at the beginning of verse 12 we can see that Jesus is here and he's speaking to a very large crowd. The large crowd they're listening to Jesus as he is teaching the disciples. And what is it that he's talking to them about? Well, if you just scan your eye quickly over verse over chapter 12 the first few verses you can see that Jesus is warning them. He's warning them that if you follow me you're going to face pressures. You're going to face tests. You're even going to face persecution because you follow me. He's giving them instruction and comfort for when they face persecution in this way. And he tells them, be on your guard. Do not be afraid of those who killed the body. Instead, don't worry, but trust in God. So this is fairly dramatic stuff. He's being very open and honest with the disciples, and the whole crowd is listening And I think it's important to see that first because it's no coincidence that as Luke is writing his account of the life of Jesus, we come from a section that talks of trusting God in the midst of persecution and suffering and hard times and move straight into a passage that speaks of money and comfort as being an obstacle to being devoted to God. It seems related that after telling his disciples about the difficulties that they're going to face as a result of following Jesus, that it's followed by a warning about being complacent and having too much of an emphasis on material things. So with that in mind, why does Jesus tell the parable? Well, in verse 13, we see someone in the crowd piped up and he said to Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'm not given very much information here. Um, We don't know much about the man. We know nothing about the dispute. He doesn't give any further details. But yet, isn't there something very revealing about the nature of his question, of his request? Here's what he doesn't ask He doesn't say, Teacher, I have this dispute between my brother and I, and I'm really worried this is going to damage our relationship. Can you come? Can you come between us and sort it out? That's not what he says. Instead, what he's saying is much more like, Jesus, would you come and tell my brother he's wrong and get me what I deserve? So straight away, as the man is asking this question, there's already a broken relationship that has occurred. And his agenda is already not fixing that relationship but getting what's coming to him. And then think even of the timing of this request. He's been here in the crowd listening to the revolutionary teaching of Jesus. Jesus is speaking about suffering and trials, and his concern is, but what about my money? It doesn't really feel like the right context for this sort of request. It doesn't seem like He's really grasped exactly what Jesus was talking about. And so look at Jesus' answer in verse 14. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And the word man that Jesus uses there in ancient Middle Eastern culture, well, that was used almost in a derogatory sense. It wasn't a neutral term. You could call someone by name if you respected them. You would call them man if you didn't. It's a sign of displeasure that I'm not happy with your question. And he says, this is not what I'm here to do. Instead, Jesus turns, beginning at verse 15, he said to them, he then addresses addresses the entire crowd. He's not just talking to the one man. And he tells them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because a person's life does not consist in the abundance of, Of his possessions. And so he takes this man's request, his question, and he turns it into a teachable moment and warns everyone that life is not found in stuff. That real life takes a much richer form than that. And so he tells the parable. And as I've said, we can hear a warning against greed and switch off because we've heard it all before. Or we can think the man in the parable, well, it's clearly an exaggeration. None of us are going to be quite like that. But yet, there's much more going on here than just plain old greed. He has three big problems in his attitude that Jesus exposes. And I think, if we're honest, at least one, if not probably all three, can be problems in our attitudes as well. So the first one is that he is hoarding for himself. Verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And again, we're not given lots of details here. We don't know lots about him, but we know he's already rich to begin with. And then he has this incredible harvest, greater than he could have imagined, more than he knows what to do with. Now, Jesus doesn't characterize him yet. He doesn't pass any value judgment in the first line. And so the original listeners and readers, they're probably thinking, okay, something's happened to this man. He's been blessed by God. This is a good thing. What's he going to do next? And his response is to, in verse 18, tear down the barns he has. Build bigger ones. Why? So that he can take this massive harvest and store it as a surplus. In one sense, he's, trying to be efficient and prudent and make good plans so that he never has to worry ever again. He has received this blessing from God and all he can think of doing with it is making life more comfortable for himself. Now, When we think of hoarding, maybe you think more of those TV shows like Extreme Hoarders UK where it's someone who's kept every single newspaper that they've ever bought and you can't move in their house because they have so many things. That's not the sort of hoarding that we're thinking about. By hoarding, we're talking about taking the good things that we receive in life and keeping them all for ourselves. Look back at verse 17. He receives this blessing, and who does he turn to in order to decide what to do? What does it say? He thought to himself. He's a wealthy man. The chances of him tearing down all these barns, building new ones, bringing the harvest in on his own, that's not going to happen. So he either has a very large family, or more likely, he also has workers and servants to do this for him. But yet, the only person he ever mentions or thinks about is himself. He's already described as rich. This isn't a lucky break, giving him what he deserves after a life of struggle. This is an extra blessing. He's doing well. Suddenly it's incredibly well. And his only thought is, what can I do to keep this for myself? What can I do to keep this safe? What can I do so that I can sit back? I can take it easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry. If I keep this all, that is my life. And that is what he wants to do. And so we see what God thinks of this in verse 20. He thinks he's a fool. And he tells him that that night his life is going to be demanded from him. And he has spent all of this time and all of this energy hoarding everything into these barns. And it's all going to be for nothing. God asks him, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? hoarding things up for himself was a tragic waste of the good gifts that God had given to him. Think of what he could have done with that abundant harvest if he had used it to bless others rather than himself. St. Augustine wrote about this passage that the man did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses than his barns because that he shared what he had been receiving then it would have been a blessing for so many. Instead, he hoarded it for himself and it was an absolute waste. Now, when we think of how this applies to us, it takes careful thinking because we're not in the exact same context as this man. We know elsewhere that we're called to be good stewards of all that God has given us and You know, we have to be sensible and wise with the material blessings we receive. And so I don't think this means that we shouldn't have savings or investments or be sensible. But it does mean that when we think about our money or our homes or the good gifts that we have, we must be sure that these are not primarily for us. That we must live generous lives and share all that we have been given with others. And when we do save, it's not so that we have more for ourselves at the extent of others. Maybe a good way to examine this for yourself is to ask, what do I do if I ever end up with excess money? Maybe it doesn't happen very often, but if it comes, what's your response? Does it automatically get saved, put away for a rainy day? Does it go straight to another holiday, a treat? You deserve it. Does it mean the car gets upgraded? Or is there space to say, do you know what, I have all that I need right now. And somehow I've ended up with more. What can I do to bless others? To help others? And just as an aside, what do we think this passage has to say about how casually today we can get into debt for things that we want rather than need? If hoarding is dangerous, then what about spending what we don't even have? It's worth thinking through carefully. What would it look like today for us to hoard things away for the sake of our own comfort as a first priority? Are we in danger of doing that? And what does the alternative look like? Which leads us to the second mistake that the man makes. As well as hoarding things for himself, he finds security in material things. We sang earlier in the service, my soul finds rest in God alone. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they find their rest in thee. And that is not the attitude of the man in the parable. He's much closer to saying my soul finds rest in comfort, in security, in abundance of good things in life. He thinks that all of these material things will satisfy him, will make him merry, will make him feel secure. And God says that finding his security in these material things, that makes him a fool because none of these things are guaranteed to last. This is how it will be, verse 21, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And the parable isn't against wealth in and of itself. It's against the person who finds their security in wealth, against the person who makes wealth their aim in life, their purpose, who makes it more important than anything else. And we see this throughout the Bible that finding security in stuff, in money, in comfort, in material things is always a disaster. Jesus said elsewhere that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's so easy to turn to money rather than God for comfort and security. 1 Timothy 6 reminds us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but loving it. Hebrews 13 tells us, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that promise from God is far greater security than material things could ever bring us. Not stuff, but the presence of God. Jesus had been speaking to his disciples about persecution just before this. Listen to what he says to the suffering and persecuted church in the book of Revelation. He says, I know your sufferings and your poverty, but yet you are rich. Why? They don't have material things, but they have him. We cannot fall for the trick of finding security in our possessions, in material things that do not last. And so what do you need to feel secure? Look at your life and think, what is it that makes me feel at ease? What is it that you rest in and find comfort if it's how well your career is going or how much of a safety net you have in the bank, if it's any sort of stuff which is fine in and of itself, but if that's where you find your comfort, then you are settling for a lesser security than is offered to you in Jesus. Because the hope and the comfort we find in him is far greater than the fleeting things this life has to offer. And then the third problem, as well as hoarding for himself, as well as finding security in material things, the man also has a false view of ownership. Look back down again at verses 17 and 18. What does he say? He says, I have no place to store my crops. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain and my goods. And this exposes so much about the man's attitude and his heart. He was blessed by God abundantly with a far greater harvest than ever before, and he doesn't even see God's hand in it. He thinks it's all him, and if it's all his, why would he not hoard it? If he'd gotten to his position simply by his own hard work, why would he not find security in his wealth? Yet everything he had was a gift from God. And everything we have is a gift from God. We are incredibly privileged to live in this country. Every one of us sitting here today is amongst the richest people in the world. And when we compare ourselves with our neighbors, maybe we don't feel like it. But we all have a lot. Who do you think it comes from? Who do you think it belongs to? All that we have is given to us by God. You may say, but I worked hard. And you did. But you would not have breath. You would not have life you would not have anything without God giving it to you as a gift, never mind our material possessions. And the man in the parable was so greedy because he had forgotten this. And when we view our money, our time, our homes, our cars, not as ours, but as gifts given to us from God, then it makes a lot more sense to share them with others and to use them for His good and His glory and not our own. Having a false view of ownership, arrogantly thinking that all the good things in our lives are because of us is delusional. If your money, your time, your home are all a good gift from your loving Heavenly Father, then that surely changes how you use And view them. Understanding that all we have is a gift from God. Should stop us from being selfish. With what we have. So what is it that you value most? Our sermon title today was Be Merry. And the man in the parable, he thought he had it all figured out. He knew what it was to live the good life. According to a recent survey done this year by the Prince's Trust, young people in the UK have never been unhappier. But yet we live in a time of such abundance. The reasons include debt, so attaining things that they didn't have the means to get, mental health, the expense of housing, social media, comparing ourselves with others, and the loneliness. Despite living in a time and an age where the phrase, eat, drink, be merry, seems like a motto to live by, it's not a reality, and it's not working. And this parable shows us why. Stuff does not make us happy. Maybe for a wee while, but it never lasts. Hoarding things for ourselves, finding security in material things, having a false view of ownership, makes fools out of all of us. So what does the alternative look like? What does it mean to really be merry? Jesus is pointing us to not storing up treasure for ourselves, but being rich towards God finding our purpose and our identity and our worth and our security and our treasure in Him. Living radically generous lives that seek to honor, honor and glorify Him as we serve others. And what does this look like? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote this in his letter to the Philippian church. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying that contentment is found in Jesus himself. For Paul, being merry, was a reality even in prison because why? He knew Christ. And if we're thinking, well, that's okay for Jesus to tell us not to be fixated on material things, but isn't that a big claim to ask of us? Well, then we think of how radically generous he was to us. Because earlier in Philippians, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This parable today is a practical reminder that Christ is our greatest treasure. And to be fixated on material things, on stuff for our comfort, security, or meaning is to settle for a lesser treasure. Our worth is not in what we own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're not a distant and far removed God, but that you're a God who has something to say to us. Father, we thank you for all of the blessings in our lives. They are many. Would you help us to see them as a gift from you, And would you help us to find our hope and our security not in our material things, but in who you are and all that you have done for us. Father, help us to be generous. Help us not to be selfish. Help us to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who gave everything for us. And we ask it in his name. Amen.
1: And we pray. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Lord, we thank you for our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our children. Thank you for our families, for those who share our lives, those related to us by blood or marriage or adoption or some other way. Thank you for the joys of family life with its privilege and its responsibilities, its burdensome tasks and its delightful experiences. Thank you, Lord, for our families. And hear us as we pray for Divided families. For those families like the one in our reading this morning, divided over money. For families divided over duties. Some members give themselves to care for the elderly or needy in the family, and others. Just don't pull their weight. It's hard, Lord, not to be resentful. We pray for those in need, for the elderly losing their independence, and perhaps worse, losing their minds, for the young losing their way, for the middle-aged losing their patience, for the anxious losing their jobs or their prospects, for the self-centered losing their balance, For the life-weary, losing their faith. For the ill, losing their hope. For the bereaved, having lost their dear ones. We pray for all these and for divided families. And we pray for divided nations. For those seeking to bring peace, stability, harmony to the Korean Peninsula. For those seeking to bring an end to the death and destruction. The forced emigration in Syria, for those seeking a more just world order that will lessen famine and oppression. Lord, grant all such success. We pray for those in the wealthy West. And in the poorer south and east who seek to teach and to live out that profound truth that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We pray for evangelists, preachers, teachers, And all who bear witness to the glorious gospel of salvation through Christ our Lord. And we pray for all whose lives clearly show the beauty of a life that is rich towards God. Help us all, O Lord, to live as those who one day must give account to the heavenly judge and who, on that day, trusting only in Jesus, may hear your well done, good and faithful servant. And we bring our personal prayers of thanks, of requests, of confession and commitment. We bring them to you in the silence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.